excuse me, Mr. X. Um, hi. I, I've read some of your speeches, and I honestly believe that a lot of what you have to say is true. And and I, I'm a good person, in spite of what my ancestors did. I, I just I wanted to ask you. What can a white person like myself, who isn't prejudiced, what can I do to help you and, and further your cause? Nothing. Are you ready? All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining me once again on Things You're Not Supposed to Talk About with Luigi. <laughs> that is me, right? And that was Malcolm X, actually. That was Denzel Washington playing Malcolm X in the movie Malcolm X. And with a very poignant nothing, you can do nothing to help me. Right? I mean, right? That's, that's what he said. I think that's the most um, effective scene in the entire movie. So, of course, we're going to talk about something today because the subject is not Malcolm X, right? The subject is not what Malcolm X said. Malcolm X was right. The subject was the young white woman who approached him talking about helping the black race and Malcolm X's response was you can do nothing and he would be correct. Um, so today's podcast is about <laughs> the self-flagellation of white America. Yep. That's what, that's what's going on. We've got a self-flagellation of white America and there's a reason for it. We're going to discover that reason together. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you will agree with me by the end of this. And if you don't, hopefully you will say, Hey, he made a little bit of sense. I'm not that mad at him. Okay. That's that. You know what? That's the entire point of the podcast, right? A, you don't get that mad at me. Like, you're going to be mad at me. This is a fact, right? But A, you don't get that mad at me. And B, right? You say, hey, you know, there's some validity to that. Maybe we should examine a little bit further what he's talking about. That's all anybody asks. I don't ask for anything else. I don't ask for money. I don't ask for nothing. All right? I just want to talk to this dumb microphone. All right, here we go. So, uh, Jeopardy contestant turned social justice columnist, uh, caricature Arthur Chan, or Arthur Chu rather, uh, who once tweeted, as a dude who cares about feminism, sometimes I want to jo join all the men arm in arm and then run off a cliff and drag the whole gender into the sea. So this is a man who wants to destroy men because feminism. Okay. 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 Uh, Lori Penny wrote, I've had white liberal guilt before. Today is the first time I've actually been truly horrified and ashamed to be white. And that's that that she wrote that. Uh, she said that about Trump being elected. All right. All right. Uh, Michael Moore. He's always very interesting, isn't he? He's a, he's a very interesting guy, Michael Moore. I I think he's interesting. He says interesting things. Here's one of them. OK. Michael Moore, author of titles such as Stupid White Men, once said, no woman ever invented an atomic bomb, built a smokestack, initiated a holocaust, melted the polar ice caps, or organized a school shooting. Um, everything in that statement is 100% false, by the way. Right? That's, everything in that statement is 100% false because the Manhattan Project uh, had its un unsung female heroes, right? There were plenty of them there. Uh, plenty of female oil and gas executives and a uh, female school shooter. Uh, Brenda Ann Spencer, right? Inspired the 1979 Boomtown Rats hit, I Don't Like Mondays. Ironically, Moore erases women's history by neglecting its greatest villains. How about that? Okay. Well, the reason we start off with these quotes is because they are inherently abhorrent. That's right. Uh, cringing at this statement should be what you do. 
Embracing them is embracing something you absolutely cannot control, how others feel about who you are. It's just dumb. Don't do that. Uh, most of this self-flagellating behavior has come from white elitists, and in their turn, uh, in their turn, influences have hit home with millions of fans and followers on social media. Yeah. A lot of social media fans and followers getting into that whole thing, you know. They hear these cool words, and then all of a sudden, bam. You know, they want to be part of that. All right. Well, statements like the one from Michael Moore are notoriously common, commonly filled with social outrage, filled with buzzwords and simple logic. All right. Uh, it is also filled with flippant facts, as I just told you, easily countered with truth and history. Yet most will not fact check him and instead will use this line as a talking point as if it were a fact, using it in a social justice warrior way like a flag or badge of honor. Why would you do that? Why would you parrot something somebody says about social justice or about women's rights or about anything without checking to see if they were correct? I mean, just because it sounds cool doesn't mean that it always is. All right. Well, how did the uh, election of one man drive one race into a fake outrage that seems to have grown into some cottage industry where your outrage gains you points like some kind of weird and knowledgeable currency, right? right? It's, it's, like, it's like you're not really making any money from being mad. You're not making any money from marching, right? You're not, right? You're a middle-class individual who's missed work that day, and you're, you're activating for a reason that you believe in, apparently, or that somebody drove you to activate because it made sense, and then you're not making any money from that. So um, why is it going on? Right? I get it. You're not supposed to make money from everything. I understand. I'm not a jerk. Okay. I understand activism is not about making money, but in this country it is. And we've gone over that with the BLM, GNF thing, right? We've gone over that several times on this podcast. So yeah, activism in this country makes you money and there's several ways that that's going to happen. And we're going to go over that as well. All right. So how did the election of one man drive a race into fake outrage? Well, a currency that can raise your status, but not your wealth. That's what social warrior justice outrage is. Uh, I thought those two went hand in hand in society, right? But now you can be a hero on Twitter in front of millions of followers just by saying how racist you have been your whole life and didn't know it. And this is a form of currency. It makes you famous. It gets you quoted on TV. It gets you all of a sudden interviews with pundits on MSNBC or Fox News in some ridiculous fashion about some ridiculous quote that you made about some ridiculous situation that's going on. And it seems that ridiculousness is the call of the day. Well, let's see. Is this a new currency or is it not? I mean, what is this currency that we're talking about, this social justice business? What's the currency? If you think this is new, it is not. One of the stranger um, incarnations has been the German self-flagellation known as Antideutsch, right? which has built politics around self-criticism and guilt about the Holocaust. In 1995, on the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Dresden, where uh, you know, RAF bombers killed up to 25,000 people, anti-Germans -German demonstrated in praise of the bombings on the idea that it killed people who supported Nazism and therefore it was a victory. One year to mark the event in Dresden, the demonstrators held a sign, Bomber Harris, do it again in reference to the commanding chief, Sir Arthur Bomber Harris, who asked if he felt any guilt at the enormous loss of life and said that he would destroy Dresden all over again to keep Nazis from existing in this world. But the real point of the story is the people who are 
very happy that he bombed their own city. Okay, look, I don't care, you know, what the atrocities were of your forefathers. We've had plenty of them in this country, okay? But we're not supposed to be happy that 600,000 men are dead in this country because of a civil war. Like, we're not supposed to be happy about that. We're not supposed to be happy that 25,000 people bombed Dresden who live in Dresden today. That's not what you're supposed to be happy about. You're supposed to be happy that the Nazis didn't win and that your country isn't a Nazi country and half the world isn't Nazi. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to be happy about. But all the middle, all the little things in between, we're not happy about those. We're happy about the overall outcome here. Let's not be ridiculous. All right. Do you see the self-flagellation in this? You know, do you see the guilt brought on by a collective, not by the individual? Uh, that's the scenario this country's going through right now. And the thing no one wants to talk about when it comes to this is not the self-flagellation is wrong. The observation I regard to all of this is the expression of total contempt for one's own society expressed through progressive language. The oppressed are merely symbols. They're not real people. It is difficult to think of any positive political movement, past or present, that has changed the lives of human beings for the better based on radical performances of self-hatred. I don't know of any collective in any world, in any country, where change has been made for the good over self-hatred of one, in, of one set of people. That doesn't make any sense to me. It shouldn't make any sense to anybody else. I don't know why it makes sense to the people who are doing it. We're going to have to figure that out together. There's a large um, idea in this country that racism is systemic. And the word systemic means it's part of the system. Well, the only thing that's a variable in our systems is people. The only thing that's a variable in our systems is the tenets by which we live by in our Declaration of Independence and in our Constitution and in the Ten Amendments to the Constitution. Those are the things that are the variables. They are, and even though they're concrete, people make them a variable, right? People talk about uh, the Second Amendment in certain ways. And other people talk about it in other ways. Uh, people talk about freedom of speech in one way. And other people talk about it in another way. Some people want to ban words. And some people think that's stupid. I personally don't think you should be allowed to yell fire in a crowded movie house. Right? I think you should go to jail for that. Because a lot of people could get hurt. And when they do, right, that's your fault. So where do we draw the line? I don't know. Where do we draw the line with self-flagellation? I don't know. Let's see. Let's find out if systemic racism is, is real in this country. Because you can say it is, and I can say it is, but is it real? Remember, it's about the system. Here's the system right now, today, as it stands. Ready? Here are the numbers. 75% of people in this country are white. 77% of representatives in Congress and the Senate are white. That seems like a pretty fair deal. 12.5% right. of Americans are black. 14% of Americans in Congress and the Senate are black. Oh, that seems pretty fair too. All right, let's keep going. 9% of America is Latin American. 8.9% of the reps in Congress and the Senate are Spanish or Latin. Excuse me. 1.5% of the population in this country is Asian. 
the rest of the percentages are Asian representatives in this country for our Congress and our Senate. None of that is systemic racism. Actually, it's the opposite. It's clear and honest representation of every demographic. So to call our government systemically racist is foolish. It's unknowing. It's something that you shouldn't say because of these numbers. But does that mean people aren't racist? Absolutely not. It absolutely means people are racist because people are racist. I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you've tried not to be racist. The minute you say to somebody, um, I'm not as racist as most people, you're still racist. The minute you say I'm the least race, racist person I know, you leave room in there to be racist. Stop saying those things. Either I'm not racist or everyone is racist. Those are the two things that should be coming out of people's mouths. I'm not a racist or everyone is a racist. Because, right, you, you can't sit here and have a conversation without somebody getting a racist. And that has been a fact for the last seven or eight years. The numbers that I just read to you prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that systemic racism is not a real thing when we represent ourselves by the numbers. However, uh, this is a free country. So the thought process of those reps is the only thing creating racism in our government. So the people who you're voting in are racist, regardless if they're representing the demographic properly. Making them all 25% each would increase the chances of deadlocking our government to a point of disrepair. Decisions will not get made because of the same reason that racism exists. People. And if everything was 25%, 25%, 25%, you know, to 100%, right? If everybody was represented that way, no one would be, rep would be represented equally. There would be over-representation. There would be under-representation. This representation that we have is actually perfect. All right. So online... Liberal commentators and internet personalities have built fame and careers purely through the signal virtuing. As more folks, uh, as more folks copy this, they rely upon signal virtue, even as it is overplayed by its own abundance. So the self-flagellation reaches absurdity. Suddenly, saying Trump sucks is not enough. He must literally be Hitler, right? You got to ramp that shit up. Soon, denouncing all of society as literally being Hitler is not enough. One must turn inward and then denounce yourself as well as Hitler, right? Because that's the natural progression of that entire food chain of thought. Others climbing the uh, greasy pole of liberal virtue to careers in academia or ideological listicle writing must seek to outpace and dethrone those taking up their spot in a limited room available at the top. This is a great line from a good writer named Angela Nagel from the magazine Current Affairs. I'm going to read that line to you again. Others climbing the greasy pole of liberal virtue to careers in academia or ideological listicle writing must seek to outpace and dethrone those taking up their spot in the limited room available at the top. All right, that's a brilliant line from a very good writer. Uh, the reality of white privilege is now so widely accepted in the U.S. that anyone who denies it risks being branded a racist. So, if you're a guy like me who grew up with, if you're a guy like me and, you know, three of my friends who grew up with no parents 
no money, and food and clothes from the church and welfare and food stamps and everything else you could think of and Section 8, for you to tell me that I'm full of white privilege, you know what? Is only because of the color of my skin, you know? And then, you know, then I got a problem. All right. As should everyone. It has become embedded in universities in the form of critical race theory and whiteness studies. That is a real thing. Uh, A recent conference at Edinburgh University on resisting whiteness banned white people from speaking and is the central pillar underpinning America's, ready, $8 billion a year equity, diversity, and inclusion industry. You heard me correctly. $8 billion a year. That's pharmaceutical status. That's a drug being handed to you like the pharmaceutical companies advertising Sky Rizzy. Okay? Nothing is everything. How come I know that song? Huh? How come you know that song? How come you know what Sky Rizzy does? All right, never mind. So that's what this is like, okay? It's, un- it's an $8 billion a year equity, diversity, and inclusion industry. Employees of public bureaucracies across the atmosphere are forced to undergo regular unconscious bias training where they've been bombarded with a tsunami of gobbledygook, all revolving around the idea that white people have privileges no other ethnic group enjoys, sometime at enormous expense to the taxpayer. How many of you have sat in your businesses and taken unconscious bias um, um, classes, raise your hand, right? That should be nearly every single one of you. If you work in like a Home Depot or Lowe's or Target, you've been forced to take those classes, whether you like it or not. If you do not take the classes, you will be fired. Period. Okay? So you must you must do this. And I, I've taken the classes. And right? I, I don't listen to any of it. I get all the answers right and we move on because no one's going to teach me about this. I'm going to learn about this on my own or I'm not. I'm going to learn about this from my neighbor or I'm not. I'm going to learn this from my neighborhood or I'm not, right? But I'm not going to learn it from the law. I'm not going to learn it from my government. And I'm certainly not going to learn it from a corporation getting paid to do it by the federal government. I'm not doing that. And neither should anybody else because that's crazy. Nobody should listen to what a corporation tells you about inclusion and diversity. If you look at the top of the corporation, there's zero of that going on. Who the hell do they think they are? And I dare you to find one that is. Here's an instance, right? The school's, the school's chancellor of New York recently introduced mandatory, right? that's a word we don't live with around here in America, but it's, it's coming up more and more, mandatory anti-bias and equity training for the city's 75,000 teachers at a cost of $23 million a year. Who's getting that money, right? To complement this initiative, top officials in New York's Department of Education were taught that the characteristics of white supremacy include, perf- ready? Because we're going to go over these words. Perfectionism, hmm. worship of the written word, individualism, and objectivity. All right, we're going to do that again, right? Because even I got lost. Here we go. To complement this initiative, initiative, top officials in New York's Department of Education were taught that the characteristics of white supremacy include perfectionism, worship of the written word, individualism, and objectivity. And it's all thanks to a wasp princess with a Harvard PhD. I'm asking myself... As should you, no matter what race or color or religion you are, what's so bad about that? I'm not really sure. I mean, people are saying that white people are bad because of perfectionism. Well, that's something that an individual quality and is quite rare in this world, don't you think? I mean, worship of the written word? Education is not a staple for white people. In this country, public education is run by the federal government. So if education is racist, guess what? 
No white person should feel bad for getting educated outside the federal government. I promise. No one should feel bad about that. Individualism is apparently a bad thing. I'm not sure what to say about that one. I don't think the rest of the world wants white people thinking in a collective about being white. Looks what, look what happens when they do. There are too many factual studies that show the power of groupthink. White people groupthink white people groupthink can result in Nazi Germany or the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Which do you prefer? Because groupthink on a large scale can charge can change society for good or bad. So individualism had better win the day for everyone. All right. Objectivity is also a reason why people are bad. We look at things objectively. Well, everyone should do that. So this is the silliest one of them all. Time for some facts. According to a recent report by the American Enterprise Institute, 57% of black Americans now belong to the upper middle class as compared to 38% in 1960. And the share of black men in poverty fell from 41% in 1960 to 18% in 2018. But if we look at education, African Americans are beginning to outperform whites. Black women, for instance, have higher college attendance rates than white men. And according to the New York Times, out-earn their white counterparts when they do graduate. Facts suck when they destroy narratives like these right here. The idea that whites as a race participated in the slave trade or benefited from slavery is unfortunately, for white flagellators, ridiculous. In 1860, less than 5% of whites in the American South owned slaves. That's right, less than 5%. I mean, it should have been zero, but less than 5% did. So it isn't systemic, okay? And according to the black historian John Hope Franklin, three quarters of white Southerners had zero economic interest in the maintenance of slavery. The percentage of the population of Great Britain and Ireland in the 18th and 19th centuries who were slave owners or beneficiaries of the slave trade is even smaller. You know, Lincoln's father was an abolitionist. You know why? Not because he liked black people and not because he believed that slaves weren't, weren't supposed to be there. Matter of fact, he didn't care one thing about slavery. You know why he didn't like slavery? Because it interfered with, with his production. It interfered with his commerce. It was unfair capitalism. That's why. It gave the poor degenerate farmer or itinerant farmer less of a chance to make any money. And that's why Lincoln's father hated slavery. Okay. That's, that's why he was an abolitionist, because of his pocket, because of capitalism. Um, according to the African-American economist Thomas Sowell, uh, more whites were brought as slaves to North Africa then blacks brought his slaves to the United States or the 13 colonies from which it was formed. Well, you know what? All of those numbers are easily, easily find out. You can find them all out. All you got to do is Google it. I did. All right. But no one wants to hear this because it rebukes a sin that is not rebukable. Yet we are taught that forgiveness, not forgetfulness, not forgetfulness wins the day. I don't see any forgiveness going on, do you? The only truth about Britain and America when it comes to the obscenity of slavery is that both countries devoted considerable blood and treasure to ending it whether it was the Royal Navy in the North Atlantic or the Union Army in the Civil War. Over one million men died in the battlefields in the name of union and freedom. Make no mistake, white flagellation is a concept that enjoys much more currency among affluent whites than poor blacks. One of the most striking developments in American politics in the last 20 years is that white liberals are now, are now to the left of black Democrats on the issue of discrimination. According to a Pew survey in 2017, 79.2% of white liberals agree that racial discrimination is the main reason why black people can't get ahead these days, with only 18.8% agreeing that blacks who can't get ahead in this country are mostly responsible for their own condition. Among black Democrats, by contrast, 
59.9% agree with the first statement at, compared to 32% who agreed with the second. Wow, that's amazing. Doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like any black flagellation going on there. It sounds like black realization. And it sounds like white flagellation didn't bring that on. So no white heroes today, folks. Sorry. I am of the mind that if you hate yourself so much for the thing you are, you have two choices. No longer be the thing you are. And if you can't do that because of the color of your skin, you should relinquish all of your wealth and privilege and hand it over to those who deem you, who you deem, you know, can use it better than you. But that never happens, does it? And the words used to defend that sound something like this. Well, if I give up, oh no, wait, let me do it properly. Well, you know, if I give up my position, then I won't be able to use it for the very thing I need to use it for, which is fighting racism. Well, how erudite does that sound? I mean, you don't get more racist than that. What, you mean if you gave up all your stuff to a black guy, if you gave up your position to a black man in his country, you gave up all your money and everything and all your earnings and all of your land and all your property, he wouldn't know what to do with it? He would fuck it up? Is that what you're telling me? You racist bastard. All right. So so if these exercises in racial self-flagellation are empty gestures, what's the point of them? Well, that's easy. The purpose of the ritual is to let other highly educated, well-paid whites know that you're on the same rung of the status ladder as them. It's the 21st century equivalent of Thorstein's Veblen, Ve, uh, Thorstein's Veblen's conspicuous uh, consumption, right? I can never say that guy's name. Uh, Thorstein Veblen's conspicuous consumption theory, a way of communicating to the left that you're a member of their club. So the supposed nobility that flows from racial self-flagellation is a driving force for one kind of racism, caste racism. No white person is helping any black person in any of this. What are they doing? What they are doing, however, is separating themselves from lower class whites. Not just lower class either, all classes not of the elites. You see, in all of this, I can make the conclusion that to be elite is to be included in an idea that illuminates a point but never dulls it. It keeps it sharp so that the worship of the written word to perfection creates the objectivity that gives the illusion of individualism. Wow, look how we use those words in a sentence, huh? Oh, okay. Let's do that again, right? All right. So, you see, in all of this, I can make the conclusion that to be elite is to be included in an idea that illuminates a point but never dulls it. It keeps it sharp so that the worship of the written word to perfection creates the objectivity that gives the illusion of individualism. There you go. Underlining this play of humility and self-criticism may be something self-interested and without virtue. Nietzsche once turned a gospel phrase on its head by saying, he who humbles himself wishes to be exalted. A play on Luke's gospel which says, he who humbles himself is to be exalted. Now, which one? do you think we're working with today i'm going to tell you it's the uh, it's nietzsche's uh you know and once again he who humbles himself wishes to be exalted and i want to say that to you folks i've had a great time talking to you on things you're not supposed to talk about with louis g thank you for spending this 27 minutes and 45 seconds with me i appreciate it